Hello and welcome back to the Linkubator podcast. I'm your host Hamza Zaveri and today we have with us a very special guest, someone who has been a key figure in the development of the legal technology and innovation space for many years now and that is Mark Cohen, CEO of Legal Mosaic. Thanks for joining us Mark. Pleasure to be here. We were lucky enough to have Mark at the Linklater's Hamburg offices a few weeks ago where he was delivering a LinkSync session, which are talks organized by the Linklater's innovation team where thought leaders come in and speak to the firm. And when we heard Mark was coming, we just couldn't help but make sure that he came onto the podcast um, and he kindly agreed to do so. Mark, I understand that you're based in the US and that you were in Europe not too long ago. Um, how was your European trip? Uh, very good, thank you. In fact, it was the third time I've been to Europe since September, so I probably should be uh, getting a new passport soon. <laughs> Great, we look forward to that. So for the benefit of some of our listeners who might not know, would you mind please introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your background? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, well, uh, I have been uh, a uh, lawyer for 42 years, uh, I started out the first tw uh, 30 years of my career as a practicing attorney. I was an assistant U.S. attorney, uh, a big law partner, a big law managing partner. I started uh, a national boutique firm. Uh, I was also uh, a um, appointed receiver, which is sort of like a, a CEO appointed by the court of uh an international aviation parts company that had uh, operations on four continents. So uh, while running the company, I also oversaw its legal operations and got a pretty good handle on um, uh, acquiring legal services from the uh, customer side. Uh, I was also an outside general counsel so um, to three insurance companies. So I've had quite a lot of experience as a practicing lawyer, both delivering services managing services globally, and then buying services globally. Um, the last 15 years of my uh, career uh, have been spent more on the industry side, uh, not the practice of law, but the business of delivering legal services. Uh, I started an early legal process outsource company in India uh, in the early part of the millennium. I then started a company called Clearspire, um, that pioneered the two-company model of law firm and legal service provider. Uh, and presently, uh, I sort of have four jobs. Uh, I write a um, regular column for Forbes on the global legal industry. Um, I do uh, a lot of teaching around the world at different law schools. Uh, I also um, do a lot of speaking around the world on various issues related to the legal industry and finally uh, consult with a number of um, leading uh, legal providers uh, who are, I think, moving the needle uh, in the legal industry. So uh, that's uh, a, a quick uh, synopsis of 42 years. <laughs> um, that was a very good summary. So I have to say, I'm a big fan of your articles in Forbes around how we should be training lawyers of the future and also what lawyers of the future should look like. 
So what I wanted to delve into today was how students and graduates who are looking to start their legal careers and also young lawyers who have started on their career journey become entrepreneurial lawyers or lawyerpreneurs in the current day. So it was really interesting hearing about your journey from being a lawyer to becoming a managing partner of a law firm to running a business and then co-founding ClearSpire, which, as you touched on, was a tech-enabled process-driven law firm that was in many ways revolutionary at the time of its founding and that pioneered the two-structure model. And now you are running your own consultancy. So it could be said that you are the embodiment of a lawyerpreneur. So do you just want to talk us through how students and young lawyers can think about bringing an entrepreneurial spirit to law firms especially in a world where technology and innovation are becoming ever more important in the legal field? So the good news for uh, young lawyers and legal professionals today is that um, there are many, many more career options available uh, than there were uh, when I was a young lawyer back when electricity was first coming into popular use. Um, the, uh, those options are that in my day, it was uh, basically a practice career or nothing. Uh, today, I think uh, fewer lawyers uh, are going to have traditional practice careers, uh, and many are going to have careers that are going to require them to learn skills beyond just simply a knowledge of the law. Uh, some of those skills would include project management, uh, an understanding of business basics, an understanding of how technology um, is up being applied uh, to deliver legal services more quickly, efficiently, and predictably, uh, basics of uh, business uh, or data analytics, I should say. And then finally, I think it's very important for all uh, young lawyers and allied legal professionals uh, to start developing their own brand. And by that, I mean um, you know, each of us comes to um, the profession with a very different personality, a very different background, a very different set of passions and skill sets. Um, in my day, um, big law, which was really sort of the dominant form of a corporate legal provider, uh, big law was really the only game in town. Um, now there are many, many different types of uh, legal providers some of whom are law firms, but uh, several of whom uh, were not at least started out as law firms. I'm thinking of companies like United Lex. I'm thinking of uh, the big four, uh, many others. Um, and so I think, you know, the what I would counsel, um, and this is, you know, obviously I could go on for a long time on this, but the short of it is I think that in terms of an entrepreneurial spirit, that's a wonderful thing. Um, but I would also uh, inject more than a, a, a bit of caution to young lawyers uh, about um, jumping in to entrepreneurial ventures. First of all, I think there is a tremendous and widespread misunderstanding as to you know, technology and what it can and cannot do in the legal industry. There's no question that Technology and has uh, enabled a proliferation of new uh, models uh, for legal delivery. 
Um, and that, I think, uh, you know, bears the potential to really, really improve legal delivery. Having said that, I think that I've seen a lot of young, enthusiastic people around the world who think that somehow legal tech on its own is going to be a panacea and that, you know, if they could be the one to find that, you know, sort of silver bullet uh, where you flip on the switch and suddenly, you know, everything is, is better and, 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 and different, um, I, I think that, you know, that is fueling a misconception that, um, you know, th- there is just this tremendous opportunity just by, you know, creating an app or, or, or maybe even a platform that somehow that is, you know, uh, 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 going to be the ultimate game changer. Um, people, culture, uh, and delivery models are what are driving change and capital. Um, but, you know, just having or looking for a silver bullet in technology, uh, in my mind, um, is, um, I, I think, looking um, uh, for disruption in all the wrong places. Sure. So you mentioned that technology is not a surefire way in itself of, you know, changing the legal industry. What other um, ways do you think there are that the legal industry is changing? And also, would you mind talking a bit about the skills gap as well that, that you write about? Sure. Well, let me, let me take the first part of it first. Um, you know, what are some of the drivers of change? Um, and, and, and to be clear, I mean, certainly technology is um, the ultimate enabler of change. Uh, but my point is, and I, I, I think you correctly restated it, that technology just of and by itself, as it is now so often being treated, uh, technology really is only as effective, uh, in my opinion, as the, 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 the problem that it's, uh, it's seeking to solve. Um, is it going to make things more efficient? Um, is it going to make things more predictable? Is it going to ultimately be uh, of benefit uh, to the um, ultimate uh, consumer of legal services? That's what's really important. But some of the other drivers, to get uh, to your question, some of the other drivers of industry uh, change are that um, increasingly in the digital age, um, it, it amazes me as a as a trial lawyer that um, you know, which is all based on evidence and and proof, um, that you know, so many legal judgments are um, derived from anatomical places. So, how many times have you all heard, even in your young careers, lawyers talking about my nose tells me this or my gut tells me that? Um, in business. It's no longer about that. Of course, experience makes a difference. Of course, instinct makes a difference. But increasingly in business, decisions are data-driven. And I think that one of the things that is beginning to change the legal industry is the use of data as a predictive tool, um, as, a, as a tool in, in decision-making. Um, and um, I think that one cannot underestimate um, the importance of data in driving industry change. Um, I think another driver of change is um, the the fact that um, in in a, um, in a in a world where 
large uh, companies, multinationals, such as the ones that your law firm uh, would typically be engaged to represent. Um, these companies need uh, services at scale. Um, they don't need piecemeal solutions. They need integrated solutions. Um, and I think what that means then is that increasingly, um, from the uh, consumer perspective, um, they need providers who have the scale, which I think it, it, it relates to technology and capital, um, to be able to provide those kinds of end-to-end um, -end solutions. Uh, and then I think finally uh, another, and I could list many more, but another key um, driver of change, it's not so much coming from the profession. It's not coming from lawyers. It's really coming from business and it's really coming from consumers. And ultimately that means the C-suite, whether it's CEOs, CFOs, who are beginning to reimagine the legal function. Um, what should lawyers be uh, doing? What are they in fact doing? Uh, it goes so far beyond an issue of cost cutting. And it really goes to issues of speed, competency, basis of decision-making, et cetera. Um, so um, th that's my answer to your first question of what's driving industry change. Um, in terms of the second question, which actually I'm glad you asked it, because I think it really uh, is, uh, emanates from your first question. I think increasingly just knowing the law is not going to cut it for lawyers anymore. Um, and they're going to have to have additional skill sets, which I think are going to, I know, are going to have to respond not to what lawyers' conceptions of what lawyers should be are, but rather what are the consumers of legal services looking for or expecting from lawyers? And I think increasingly, especially if you are in the corporate arena, um, you really do have to, as I said before, understand business basics. You have to understand project management. These are all things that I think must be um, uh, uh, learned by lawyers. Now, unfortunately, most law schools today are not doing a very good job of, um, of exposing lawyers to that. That's the bad news. The good news is that, you know, in my day, there was no internet. Um, and now there are a tremendous number of self-help tools that are available and online courses. Um, and, and frankly, I think also social media where you mentioned very graciously that you read my Forbes articles, and uh, happily a lot of other people do. Um, and it's not that I or others am the Delphic Oracle, but there are a lot of opportunities for young people today you know, to learn about what's going on in their industry in ways that frankly weren't available to me uh, as, as a young person. And for that matter, to be able to directly reach out to people who are really on the cutting edge of what's going on in the industry. And, um, you know, I can't speak for others, but uh, I, I do know some other people who are well known in the industry who, like myself, have a tremendous, you know, desire to try to share the experience and, and knowledge that we have with younger people. Um, so these are all tools that young people have, I think, to make up uh, at least a significant part of the skills gap and learn it on their own. 
uh, because unfortunately, law, law schools, um, for the most part, have um, failed um, to uh, become institutions of learning for life. And I think in today's marketplace, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a doctor, um, no matter what you do, um, the pace of change is, is, is so rapid um, that you have to be able to keep up with what's going on in your industry. Coming back to something you touched on in your previous answer, um, you know, you talked about concepts such as project management and legal operations. So what is legal operations and why is an understanding of that so important for the lawyer of the future? Yeah, um, good question. So legal operations you know, is a term that's bandied about and I think it's in desperate need of a, a uniform definition like so many other uh, terms in the legal industry. Um, so I think the best explanation for what is legal operations. At a high level, I would call legal operations a, a kind of a catch-all or omnibus term that describes um, various business of law as opposed to practice of law function. Um, and uh, the Corporate uh, uh, Legal Operations Consortium, better known as CLOC, um, is an industry organization that I think um, young uh, legal professionals should familiarize themselves with. Um, I would uh, counsel everybody listening to um, look at the CLOCK website. Uh, and on the front page, what you will see is a uh, pie chart um, that lists 12 interlocking competencies that um, in CLOCK's mind uh, comprises legal operations. Um, I think that is probably the best overview of uh, legal operations uh, that I could um, cite to. So without going through all of them and taking up you know, our remaining time, I would just um, one more time with feeling encourage people to take a look at, at that and get an idea of you know, what um, uh, those uh, different interlocking uh, skill sets are. And I would also caution people, don't panic. It's not as if you have to be an expert in all 12 areas. But I do think that you should have at least a rudimentary understanding of how they are interconnected in terms of the way contemporary legal services uh, are, are, are starting to be delivered. And then, you know, hopefully um, acquire a, a, a slightly deeper understanding of a couple of those areas. Sure. And you also touched on law schools and, and the part they're playing in the development of young lawyers. What is your take on how law schools are adapting to the way the legal industry is changing? And, you know, are they making students market ready on graduation? I think there are a couple of law schools uh, globally that stand out. Uh, I, I won't keep them a secret. Uh, I think IE Law School in Spain uh, is doing a superb job of um, teaching young lawyers uh, that law today is the intersection of legal, technological, and business expertise. There's another school, Becerius, in Germany that I think does an outstanding job. Um, their curriculum is, bears many similarities to IEs. So um, just to sum it up, uh, I think that legal education, uh, by and large, 
um, is done, in my opinion, a, a rather poor job um, and really is, um, uh, for the most part, not terribly aligned. And there are some salient exceptions. I've named a few. Um, for the most part, is really not aligned with the marketplace. And uh, part of the reason for that, I think, is that um, most law professors, many law professors, certainly in the state, um, have had very little to no um, actual um, experience either in the practice of law or the legal industry. Uh, and I think that's, that's a big problem. Um, if you were a student again, what would your top three tips be for yourself when coming into the legal marketplace as of today? I would um, look very carefully uh, uh, at um, the uh, cost of, uh, of law school uh, uh, and um, my, you know, what it is that I really hope to achieve from my legal degree. Uh, and I would do a very, very... Um, uh, uh, discipline cost-benefit analysis, uh, because in the States, uh, law school has become prohibitively expensive. Uh, and as we just talked about, um, at least in my view, and I think it's shared not only by me, but also by the uh, United States Department of Education, which a couple of years ago um, threatened uh, the uh, American Bar Association, which oversees the licensure of law schools, threatened them with uh, basically pulling that licensure um, uh, uh, capability uh, because of very poor student outcomes. So, so the first would be I would really evaluate, is it worth my while to be a lawyer? Um, and, and, and do I have the means or am I willing to accept the financial burden of doing so. Uh, so that would be the first question. I think the second question uh, I, I would have is, um, I would really want to look at the industry and what it was not my conception of, you know, sort of a TV version of what a lawyer is or a movie version of what a lawyer is, um, but I would be really, you know, talking to some legal consumers if I could, in terms of what do they see uh, a legal career being? I would read some of the commentators um, in terms of, you know, how is the function of being a lawyer uh, changing? Um, that would be a second thing that I would do. Ask myself, uh, what is it that I'm passionate about? Now, if I am absolutely passionate about the environment uh, or if I'm absolutely passionate about um, you know, immigration and immigration rights, um, or if there is something about the law that I was passionate about, um, then I would, you know, probably want to pursue it, but I would, you know, do as much due diligence as I could in terms of how do I, you know, sort of marry my passion um, with, um, you know, career options, that might allow me to express it. Um, I think I would be thinking about, you know, sort of the changing role of the lawyer. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, many people go into law um, based on, you know, a lot of misconceptions in terms of what the legal industry really is today. 
Um, and uh, so I think the good news is that um, law is probably going to become more inclusive, more diverse. I think it should be. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, there's got to be, um, you know, some really fundamental change in terms of how law schools, um, you know, train students um, and opportunities for law uh, lawyers um, beyond just, you know, sort of um, what we in the States call continuing legal education or, you know, uh, there are various names for it around the world. Well, thanks a lot for that, Mark, and we really appreciate your time. Well, it's been my pleasure. Um, I loved your questions and uh, hope to be able to continue it at some point uh, in the future.